crazy week and, and, a, and a fun time on Saturday. Well, that's why people will have to watch the bracket blitz that we'll be doing on a Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon. I said Sunday because I was thinking of NFL Red Zone, which is basically what we try to emulate. Yeah, but you know, on our level with our sensibilities, and and it's um, there's no way you could really watch all 16 games. So to have uh, you guys set up and do that for uh, for all the readers and listeners and viewers and uh, everyone else who who has an opportunity to follow one team or one conference or one game. And then to have that phone open and, and have you guys be on camera with the highlights, I think is just going to be um, you know, a great experience and something that we couldn't have done in D3 when we started this thing. Um, and now you can, and, and might as well take advantage of the times. Frank will be happy. We promote the bracket blitz in the cold open. <laughs> Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the twice-weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 261, the one with 16 games on the road to the Stag Bowl, season 13, number 23, or the podcast for November 22nd, 2019. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Sports.com. And I'm Keith McMillan, the former player, longtime co-host, and person who has probably covered more playoff games than anyone on earth in division three without ever playing in one. Oh, there you go i also did not play in any though so yeah i was trying to get the former player angle in there you're right because there was no expectation that you would have played in one <laughs> no but no. you know yeah well uh you know also finally just glad to get in the studio and get away from twitter for a couple of hours it kind of you know quieted down to a dull roar on thursday but man i don't know that we have had a uh you know the angst and anger and you know disbelief slash lack of understanding persist into Wednesday and Thursday in previous years like it did this year yeah it usually turns the corner um sometime between Tuesday and Wednesday teams aren't quite as hurt by the uh the realities of of you know being left out as deep into the the week as it seemed to be this week. And the weird thing about it this time around, you know, the reality of the situation was very clear probably by week eight that there were going to be too many teams unless there was a ton uh, of carnage. And there was, there were losses. Um, when you think about, you know, Ithaca and Cortland and Bethel and St. Thomas um, across the board, but there were also some losses that push teams into pool C ultimately central beating Wartburg put central in the field, left Wartburg a spot in pool C and then Oshkosh beating whitewater uh, probably kicked out a couple of teams who might have had a chance to make it. And, and the thing that I think is, well, there are just several things that were just weird about this, this year, but the, the real weird thing is there was nothing the committee could have done. If it wasn't, John Carroll and Susquehanna getting left out. It was going to be, you know, Wartburg and North Central. It was going to be UW-Whitewater. There would have been some angst somewhere because, bottom line, there were seven teams with really, really strong cases for five spots. There was also another 9-1 and team that never had a shot in, uh, in WPI. There were some 8-2 and teams that in a different year or in a year with more at-large bids 
might have been in the discussion. It just was just was not going to happen. And it's funny because I think the 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 team. I don't know. Maybe you got more Susquehanna feedback, but the but the John Carroll turned out to be. They're also like this prime example of what happens when you assume a team from a strong conference is automatically going to win its playoff game. Um, when you go back to last year's loss to Randolph Macon, um, they are also a team that um, didn't have a problem with the playoff system as constructed. Only five at-large bids last year when it broke in their favor, and it was Wabash and Wittenberg who were 9-1 and one and got left out of the pool. So there was a lot of angst about how the system is broken, but the system is only broken when it doesn't break in, in your favor. So I, I think it was just a peculiar year, especially with that Central Wartburg, Oshkosh, Whitewater results, pushing teams into Pool C that normally wouldn't have been. And for some reason – we didn't just grasp that by Sunday night, Monday, deal with it on Tuesday. You're right. We were still talking about it. Um, but it's our job by the Friday pod to say, let's look forward. We have 32 teams in action, 16 games, some really great games and some won't, won't be as great. But uh, but it's our job to turn the page, right? Indeed. On our way to turning the page uh, I will mention that uh, Logan Hansen mentioned on Twitter earlier this week, kind of went back and ran the numbers and did some research that there were uh, seven Pool C eligible teams this year with a, a strength of schedule of 500 or better and only one loss. And, uh, you know, that has only happened one other time in the history of the 32 team uh, pools bracket. There were uh, brackets from uh, 99 to 04 which had a small number of at-large bids uh, because they were 28-team brackets. And uh, back in uh, 2016, the the schools that didn't make it, Barry, Frostburg State, and uh, St. Lawrence out of that group, uh, UW-Platteville actually jumped in with two losses. Uh, but it's basically, yeah, basically uh, codifying what you said, Keith, in that it was just a crazy year where we had too many high quality qualifying programs that there wasn't enough room for. Uh, I need to remind you or let you know that the uh, D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by Gotta Have It at GottaHaveItFanFoams.com. You know these people if you've listened to any of the previous uh, 22 or so podcasts, the officially licensed 3D foam fan wall signs. I have a couple here on my wall. Very easy to attach because... They're foam. They're not very heavy. They're very easy to to get onto the wall. I actually just attach them with a thumbtack, which I will, you know, I'm sure I'll have to deal with when I move out of this place, whenever that is. I've got a, uh, I've got Warhawk. I have Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, there is East Texas Baptist. There is Lake Forest. There is Mount Union. There is Johns Hopkins. Um, and I would say the list goes on, but that's basically the list. And uh, you should go to uh, gottahaveitfanfoams.com. And if you're a, uh, you know, you're someone who now, let's say, let's put it this way, uh, there are 200 or so Division three football coaches who suddenly have a little bit more free time. You want to get a look at this sort of thing, get on the, uh, you know, get it into the pipeline so you can have this for your team, for your alumni, for your fans going forward because that is something you definitely want to be involved in bottom line i'll just say there wasn't a team 
in 2019 that had both a Gotta Have It fan foam and a losing record. And that's no coincidence. So to make sure that you don't have a losing record next year, go to gottahaveitfanfoams.com. I'm sure that we can guarantee that that will happen. Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Peter Sturzma, the head football coach at Hope College. Hope, of course, qualifying for the NCAA playoffs with the uh, championship of the MIAA, and they host Wartburg in a first-round game on Saturday. Coach, congratulations on a great season so far, and I appreciate you joining us. Thanks a lot, Pat. Glad to be here. Also glad to have you back on the podcast, talked with you. Gosh, this must be like March of... 2017 is that possible i think it was march of 2016 uh which was my first uh really spring of being at hope college it might have been 17 i can't remember but i do recall our conversation very well yeah so uh tell us a little bit about you know where the program has gotten obviously you guys were kind of on the doorstep of getting into the playoffs last year uh, runner up in the miaa and this year able to run the table in the conference and here you guys are yeah, you know, this is our fourth season with our staff and just real proud of our players uh, for getting to this point. You know, we in our first year, uh, as we took over a two and a program, we went seven and three and then went eight and two, eight and two and still felt like we were making good progress. And and, I, you know, I, frankly, I was appreciative of some of the things you talked about in the landscape of Division three football across the Midwest in particular um, and just felt like we were we were getting closer to making progress. And, and this year. Uh, you know, with the returners that we had, it felt like we had a really good team coming back. And, you know, when you have the experience in the quarterback position, of course, of Mason Apple, uh, who's going to be a Gagliardi candidate, um, you know, that 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 changes a lot of things when you come back into a fall camp with a with a, uh, you know, a three year starter offensive line had experience coming back and our defense had a number of guys coming back. And so you just can't match experience. You can't substitute for that experience of being there. The game slows down for guys that are 22 you know, 21 years old and seeing the things that they've seen. And so just proud of the progression our guys have made. They've made tremendous strides in the off season. And, you know, again, we're not, we're not, I've never ever thought we've arrived in any way, shape or form because of this. I just think we're taking the next step of the progression and just real proud of our coaches and our players for where we are sitting here today. Apple's a, you know, a three-year starting quarterback for you guys, or at least that's what the stats are on the website. So I hope that that is correct. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, obviously he's uh, Having seen him in person, like you know, he's a he's a dual threat in that he's a big guy and he runs and he runs hard and he's hard to bring down, which is not something you see a whole lot of at the Division Three football level. He is, you know, first of all, Mason is a tremendous young man, but he is six foot three, two hundred and thirty five pounds. He's a dual sport athlete here. Uh, he'll be, uh, you know, four time All League in baseball. He'll be three time. Well, he was just named this week three time All League in football. Um, and, you know, just hearing our league coaches and the comments that they made, it said he's just so hard to defend because, you know, every time you line up against him, he's got the threat to throw, he's got the threat to run, he's got the threat to scramble. And, uh, he, and, and when you do get him squared up, he is a big, big, strong young man, uh, and, he, and he can run. You know, you look at his time in baseball from home to first, he's got one of the fastest times from home to first in baseball. So that tells you wow. uh, the type of young man he is and, and his talent level. And he's, he's got a competitive side of him that is ferocious. And you would not notice that if you were sitting here with, uh, with him, Pat, in a, in a meeting or in an interview, you would just say, oh, he's a nice young man and very humble and, and, and very uh, reserved and, and just a fun guy to be around. And, and would, you'd love to talk to him about baseball and football. And then 
when he gets on the field, he just really turns it on to a new level. And I can also share with you that I think that that respect level that our offensive linemen have for him, knowing that when they see him get a third and two, third and three play where he runs over a linebacker, I think that's kind of fun for them to say, you know what, we'll block for that guy anytime. I can imagine that would uh, definitely lift the guy's spirits. Also, guys on the sidelines, too, must uh, enjoy seeing that. That is for sure that, you know, and, and, you know, we had a game down at Trine and it was a, a fourth and uh, fourth and one situation very early in the game. And it was in our own territory. And we just said, we're going to put it in his hands. And he electrified our sidelines and obviously went on to a big victory that day. And, and yeah, he could take over a game. I want to ask you about the Aurora game because that's another uh, NCAA playoff team. Obviously, this is very early on in the season for you guys. But uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, the 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 way you guys had to a hold on to uh, win that game and then b just kind of the back and forth nature of it a little bit. Yeah. You know, first of all, we jumped out and really jumped out on top early and felt real good about where we were. And I think that's one of the things that with experience, uh, you know, as Aurora is a very good football team, very well coached. You know, I, I joked with Coach Beebe that. Uh, you know, I think all of our guys would, uh, they don't necessarily remember his name, but all of the adults and fans would love to have a picture with him on the sure. sidelines. But, yeah. you know, just I felt like that was a huge step for our guys because they we knew that we were in for a dogfight when they came, uh, you know, came battling back and when they uh, just kept making plays. And, and I, I never was in that point where I thought, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to win this game. I mean, I was certainly uh, concerned. But I just saw that our guys had a lot of fight left in them, and they just kept going and plugging away. And that was a big step for us, uh, in particular against a good football team at the end to hang on. You know, uh, Wartburg, I assume that the Wartburg Central game is one of the game tapes that you guys got a chance to look at, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yep. So um, that's a that's a pretty impressive game, and I think you probably get the full gamut of the Wartburg offense from looking at that. What are you, uh, you know, what are you guys looking in terms of matchups for Saturday? Yeah, well, first of all, we're, I mean, that game was unbelievable. I mean, that's one of those games that you can, you know, it's like one of those games you just sit down and watch and you're like, wow, what a football game. What a, I mean, there's 1200 yards in offense, I think, but a combination, you know, combining the teams, mm -hmm. uh, but Wartburg in general, first of all, we have a number of commonalities with Wartburg. We have some, uh, first of all, our, our offensive coordinator, Andrew Hawken was on their staff in 2013 and 14. And um, our baseball coach, Stu Fritz, played there and went there. And our athletic trainer was a, you know, athletic trainer at Wartburg. And so we have tremendous respect for their staff tremendous respect for what they do and how they play. Uh, when you just, when you just put the tape on and you start it, you can realize number one, they play very hard and they play very fast. And when you're a nine and one team and have one of the five, as you know, better than all of us, Pat, that, that those five at large bids are sacred. And for them to have one of those is unbelievable. It gives you the kind of the idea and respect that people have for them across the country and in particular the Midwest, but you know, they, they play fast, they play hard. They do what they do. Uh, and they do it very, very well. And I think the thing that we've noticed is that they they can they can show you many, many different things. And they don't just say, we're going to run the ball or we're going to throw the ball. They will keep you on your toes and mix and match things. They'll they'll uh, you know, their quarterback is very solid. Uh, you know, he can he can beat you with his arm or his legs. And then defensively, they just keep coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. And then you get into the third and long situations and they're going to bring in a lot of different people. And they're going to come at you from different angles. I just like the mentality that they have. They're aggressive and their philosophy is very similar to what we want to, you know, to achieve here and just keep coming at you and coming at you. And, you know, I think that's, that's the mentality that they built there. And coach Wills has been there for a number of years, of course. And I think 
that just continues to permeate through the way they play and it shows up on tape. And so, you know, but they, uh, they're, they, I, I feel good about where we are and I just feel like we got to continue to focus on us getting better and not be enamored or in awe that, Hey, we're here. Let's just go play a football game that we do and have done each and every week for the last 10 weeks. Yeah, I could see that's one thing that Warburg would have on you guys is that uh, they should not be awed by the playoff experience having been there, at least uh, other times in these kids' tenure. Let me ask you about your uh, defensive guys because it it looks like you guys are just playing a a bunch of guys. So is this just like depth? Is this just, you know, the the nature of some of the blowout wins you guys have had or you guys mix and match a lot of people? You know, in our in our defensive scheme, we're a three down team, and we feel like in the best three down that we can be is when we're rotating five and six guys through that defensive front, keeping guys fresh, keeping those guys active. Because we do a lot of movements and things of that nature, uh, you know, it, it 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 can be fatiguing. But I also think that plays into us that you're going to get different combinations, get different size, different speeds, different agilities of guys up front. And so, from an offensive lineman standpoint. You know, typically offensive lines across the country, and I really don't care whether it's high school, division three, two, or one, you don't rotate a lot of guys through the offensive line. And so but when you rotate a lot of defensive guys through, you don't always, you know, you don't pick up on all of their habits and tricks and things of that nature. So to answer your question from a, from a general standpoint, we play a lot of guys and we feel good about the guys that we're playing uh, so that we keep, can keep guys in there and be fresh and go at a hundred miles an hour because you know, that's, and, and we're also, we have, we're young at certain spots. And I think when you're young at certain spots, you want those guys to grow up quickly. Well, you're going to grow up quickly because like you said, they, they do have that playoff experience in Wartburg and they have been there. And so our guys are going to grow up quickly. And I think they've done that over the last four or five weeks as well. What's the community support been like as you guys have uh, built this program back up? It's been outstanding. The support, first of all, of our institutions, Tim, Tim Schoonfeld, our athletic director in our athletic administration and uh, we were, we uh, were very blessed to have a uh, new president this year and Matt Scogan, and he has been unbelievable with the support of our program and our student athletes. You know, he, he's, 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 we, we went and visited the, the president's home in the first week of football. He's been out to practice a number of times. He's at our games. Our players, uh, you know, just are fortunate to be around our, our administration that really cares about our student athletes and not just them, you know, not just about them as students, not just about them as athletes, but the student athletes and, and the whole combination of young people, because that's what we're here for. Um, and it's been outstanding, you know, to see so many people in a, in a, in a, in a community that I've been involved with having played here uh, back in the nineties, Ray Smith was my coach. And, you know, I talked to Ray Smith each and every week he's at our, at our Monday luncheon and, and, and the support of, of our hope nation has been awesome. And obviously we haven't been there in a while. And so that, you know, brings people out and we're hopeful that that will, that will show up on Saturday at Ray and Sue Smith Smith Stadium at 12 o'clock noon, because I think it's exciting for our, our institution as a whole. And it's exciting for our alumni across the country. I actually think that's a very division three thing. And I've talked with other coaches and with Keith on this podcast about it is that, you know, you are a guy who uh, is coaching at your alma mater and in a stadium named for the guy who you played for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Not kind of neat. It's really neat. And, and I, you know, when I was introduced as the head coach here four years ago, uh, February one, I, I, you know, I, 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 I talked to coach Smith. He was in California on vacation at that time. And I talked to him on the phone and, and it just, that was a really, really, I would say emotional, but also really neat experience to be able to say, Hey coach, I'm coming back to, 
you know, where I, where I really enjoyed and, and that was leaving something else who loved uh, in my alma mater at a high school level. And, uh, but I feel very lucky and fortunate to be back here and just proud of the guys. You know, I, I probably use that word way too much as my wife would remind me, but she said, it's not a bad word to continue to, to, to resonate with our guys, but I'm very proud of them. I'm very proud of what our guys represent. I'm very proud that our guys say please and thank yous and, 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 and appreciate the people that support us and appreciate the fact that our grounds crew removed 15 inches of snow last week off of our field. And we played on a bright sunny day with absolutely no snow on the field. Obviously there are big snow banks around, but that are of our guys said, thank you. When we had our spring athletes, lacrosse, baseball, softball out there shoveling the bleachers so that people could sit on Saturday. I mean, that to me is not about football. That's about hope. And that's about hope athletics and about hope as, as an institution that they care about the things that go on around here. And that's special. I'm pretty sure that the way the weather goes is that uh, your guys are going to be returning the favor for the spring sports uh, come a few months. <laughs> that's exactly right. In fact, that's one of the things when they were out there, we brought all the, the team together to say thank you. And I said, we will repay you for this. There's no question about that. It only takes one text message to me. Hey, we need some guys. And that will happen this spring for sure. Well, you can hear Coach Sturzma's gregariousness, and he seems like an easy guy for an administration to love, for players' love, and for players' parents to love. Still, Warburg's going to have no love once the whistle blows on Saturday, and for Mason Opel and the team he's trying to carry through to round two, it's an opportunity. It's a chance to leave something behind for the players that come after you as you grow the program and a chance to show out for your home fans. Hope isn't going to win the Stag Bowl, but winning a home playoff game against a program with a known history of winning, a name across the Midwest, that's the kind of stepping stone that's both realistic and worth cherishing if the Flying Dutchman can pull it off. Yeah, and you know, just to get another win for the MIAA. In the uh, in the automatic bid era, MIAA 3-19 in the playoffs over the course of of the last 10 seasons. Uh, they've won all three of those games in the last 10 seasons, so they're 3-10, and 10, but still not a lot of success, obviously. And it, it, this is a conference that, in the 90s, sent a team uh, to the to the Stag Bowl, hoisted the Walnut and Bronze, and this was before the, the Mountain Union era really kicked off in earnest, and certainly before the, the Whitewater, Mary Harden, Baylors of the world rose to power. So it, it happens, and there was a time, I think, when a, a random – a randomish D team D three team could have a run uh, to the Stag Bowl, although there were there were powers in the eighties and nineties, right in in Augustana and Ithaca, and uh, you know even Rowan, which never won one but got to five Stag Bowls. But I I do think there this is there are, there are some games this week where leagues conferences like the MIAA have an opportunity to win based on the matchups they get um, or that they got and. Those are the kind of things that can boost a young coach or a pro, somebody growing a program where, you know, you could take that out, out on the recruiting trail. And if you're only one week behind in recruiting, you're not you're not certainly you don't hear the same complaints that we hear from sometimes coaches who go a little deeper in the playoffs. Although I think there's I think we all know there's value in playing further into the playoffs. I think that one that, you know, two extra weeks of practice and that one playoff win would really, really help a program like a Hope, like a Western New England, or um, there's got to be some other really great examples. Chapman would be another great example of a program that, if it can, if it can win this week, regardless of how much further it goes after that, it's just really valuable to the program. Much more valuable than one more playoff win for, say, a Mary Harden Baylor, or uh, you know, even a Wheaton or a St. John's or something like that, where you just have a string of of past playoff victories. 
Union's another one to put on the list. Obviously, they have past playoff victories in previous decades, but haven't been to the playoffs since 2006. You know, they were taking over a program that was uh, down in the dumps just a few years ago and now 10-0 and in a similar position. Yeah, I think there's some really, I mean, if you're looking for um, feel-good stories, I, I guess, you know, Bridgewater coming back is another one. Um, Salisbury maybe finally getting over the, the hump of, uh, you know, whether no matter what conference Salisbury was in, they were uh, competitive, but you haven't really seen them except for that one year where they where they made it to the uh, quarters, I believe, and lost out at Whitewater. And that was one that, you know, in one of the earlier podcasts this season, Sherman Wood talked about as sort of a career, not a career defining memory, but but something that showed him that you know, what what they do can work. And if you have the right group, they can play with the best of the best. Well, now they are one of the best. Uh, and they're looking like, I mean, it just what I think is neat is that the way the bracket shook out, Salisbury, Union, or Muhlenberg, more than likely, unless Brock Ward or somebody else pulls an upset, one of those three teams is gonna gonna be a final four team. And that's going to be a, a real feather in the cap. But also, you didn't hear a lot of complaining about that this year. Where we've we've in past years we've seen people say uh, that East bracket is weak, or you know they had they had to move Mount Union in to be a one seed. This actually, and again, it's not a true East bracket. Muhlenberg's technically a South Region team. Case Western Reserve is a South Region team from North Region territory. But I think this year with that bracket actually has more undefeated teams than anyone else. And so there was no angst about the the, the top group over there. And I think that that makes this this kind of fun. Uh, again, you're looking at like a union, maybe Union Salisbury in week two, Muhlenberg Brockport in week two. And they're going to be games across the board, especially in, in I think I think week two. And obviously it's to make these great matchups next week, you got to win this week. And so that's where these games on Saturday are going to really play a big part in, uh, in setting up what should be the drama and excitement uh, of the playoffs that we all love. We're going to go bracket by bracket and break things down coming up. Break it down for me, fellas. In just a moment before we do that, uh, mentioned that uh, Shermwood was a guest on a previous podcast. You can hear that interview on podcast 247. Also, Mike Swider from Wheaton was a guest on podcast number 249. Uh, those are you know some uh, fairly extensive interviews which each, with each of those coaches who just happen to have top seeds in this uh, in this playoff. So uh, if you want to know a little bit more about those programs, maybe you've got them somewhere in your bracket. Maybe you've got them in a game this week. Go find those podcast episodes, download them, and give them a listen. And now we're going to go bracket by bracket around the Division Three playoffs here for the first round. We're going to start off with Greg Thomas. At the top of the Mary Harden-Baylor region is, of course, defending national champion Mary Harden-Baylor. The crew were hosting the Redlands Bulldogs in a seed-inappropriate matchup forced by geography. Redlands are clearly big underdogs in this game, but they do lead the nation in takeaways, and if they find a way to put some pressure on Jace Hammock, they may be able to force the crew into some mistakes and give Nathan Martinez and the Redlands offense short field scoring opportunities. Geography can give as well as take away, and Barry is on the charitable side of that coin, as the Vikings play host to Huntington. Huntington's offense has been great in their seven wins and not really around in their three defeats, notably a 23-7 Week 10 loss to North Carolina Wesleyan. 
the Hawks will have to find that offense this week in order to keep pace with Barry. Teams have been able to throw it around a little bit on the Huntington defense, which plays right into Barry's top offensive strength in 1,000-yard wide receiver Mason Kinsey. The Vikings should be able to leverage that particular advantage often on Saturday. Monmouth took two lopsided defeats to start their season, but have won seven MWC games in a row en route to their first-round game at UW-Whitewater. The Warhawks are coming off of a season-ending defeat at University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, but should be in good shape for at least a couple of rounds in this tournament. Whitewater has a distinct physical advantage in this game, as they do in most games outside of WIAC play. The Warhawk defense is outstanding as usual, and are likely to keep a lid on the Monmouth offense. As long as Whitewater can shake the turnover bug, they threw five interceptions last week against Oshkosh, round two awaits. Maybe the best matchup in the UMHB region is Wartburg at Hope. This game is going to feature two of the most exciting players in this corner of the bracket. Hope quarterback Mason Oppel has guided the Flying Dutchman unblemished through the MIAA this year, beating opposing defenses with his arm and his legs. He's a dual-threat player that has made the big play in clutch situations for Hope time and again this season. Wartburg has their own dual threat, but JoJo McNair is not a quarterback. McNair plays both sides of the ball for Wartburg, starting at cornerback and playing an increasing amount at wide receiver. Last week, McNair pulled off the rare pick-six and receiving touchdown combo. With playmakers of this caliber on both teams, this game could well turn into one of round one's more exciting shootouts. Thanks, Greg. I'm taking us on a tour through the bottom left bracket, the one with Wheaton at the top, representing the great states of Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, California, and Oregon. Wheaton, as the top seed, draws Martin Luther, and this should be a typical one seed versus eight seed kind of game. Wheaton has way too much speed and could probably win this game without even throwing a pass. The defensive line will need to play some disciplined ball, however, because part of the key to Martin Luther's offense is running something you don't see on video much. They don't see so much veer in Division Three or, you know, much of anywhere. And the Knights do have two running backs who have had success elsewhere in college football and have skills that transcend the upper Midwest Athletic Conference. The winner of that matchup will face the winner of one of my favorite games in this entire bracket, UW Oshkosh at Central. Every time I think about this game, I flip-flop on who I think is going to win, but Central brings the better passing attack with junior Blaine Hawkins and receivers such as Eric Kanak who can stretch the defense. Hawkins, however, also threw three picks against Wartburg, although one was deflected, and Oshkosh just picked off Zach Olas of Whitewater on four consecutive possessions. Neither Hawkins nor Kobe Berghammer has started a Division Three playoff game, so it will be interesting to see how they handle the bigger stage. In the bottom half of the bracket, St. John's hosts Aurora, and then we have our 3 p.m. Eastern start noon Pacific with Linfield at Chapman. The earlier game is going to feature two of the most dynamic quarterbacks in Division Three, one whose name everyone should know and one who will be new to anyone who doesn't follow the knack or dig deeply into D3 box scores. Assuming you know Jackson Erdman, let's talk about Gavin Zimbelman for Aurora. Under first-year coach Don Beebe, Zimbelman went from 181 yards per game, 12 touchdowns and 9 picks in 2018, to 318 yards per game, 51 touchdowns and 9 interceptions. That includes four seven-touchdown games, two of them against teams which went to the playoffs last year, St. Norbert and Eureka. Now, none of that is great preparation for playing at St. John's in the first round of the playoffs, but it should at least be entertaining, and that is what I'm looking forward to. And out west, we have Chapman facing another big test, having already beaten Whitworth and Redlands. Linfield comes to town after having blitzed through most of its Northwest Conference schedule. 
running the table with the biggest challenge coming from Whitworth, a win in overtime. Linfield also only beat George Fox by seven, but the Bruins scored with 58 seconds left to make it a one-score game, and Linfield recovered the onside kick and ran out the clock. Wyatt Smith, as a junior, has had a great season at quarterback for the Wildcats. We've talked about this before on this podcast. But what Linfield also needs on Saturday is a really good game from running back Artie Johnson just to keep the Chapman defensive front guessing. There's there's speed up front for Chapman and could be a real problem for Linfield. This should be a great game to have the spotlight all to itself, and I'm looking forward to watching that game after the conclusion of the uh, D3Football.com bracket blitz. Now Keith's going to give us a look at the top right bracket. I suppose it depends how you like your playoff quadrant served. Do you want one big meaty dish and a bunch of sides, or do you prefer when the sides are just as good as the main course? I don't know if my pre-Thanksgiving analogy is working, but the Salisbury bracket stands to be as fun and as hard to predict as any of the others because there's no Mountain Union or UMHB or Whitewater or St. John's or Linfield or Wheaton lurking. Some of those teams aren't going to the Final Four, and either Salisbury, Muhlenberg, or Union probably is. No other quadrant in the 32-team bracket has three unbeaten teams with the Seagulls and the Mules legitimately in the top 10, and Union comparable performance-wise, but a little slower to get that ranking because they started out with less buzz and their schedule was backloaded. You have Brockport and Case Western Reserve, teams that lost in Week 11 but had already clinched their conference titles and maybe the worst playoff entrant in Division Three history, 5-5 five and five SUNY Maritime, which pulled a mild upset in Week 11 by beating Mount St. Joseph. It's a quadrant that could be a lot of fun, especially as we get to Round 2. Quickly, from the top, the issue with facing Salisbury in 2019 is that hardly anybody runs the option anymore, and even the Seagulls themselves have added spread principles to their triple option attack. Having four practice days to prepare to stop an offense that takes years to hone is not ideal to begin with, and the privateers are just okay on defense at 327 yards and 21 points allowed per game. Where they're going to struggle, however, is moving the ball on Salisbury, since they were just the 210th best offense in the country to begin with and hit 20 points just three times in this 10-game season. This is a team that lost by 45 to Merchant Marine and 35 to William Patterson back-to-back weeks and even lost to Alfred State. Salisbury is the best team SUNY Maritime has faced this season and should have it in hand by halftime. If the privateers are able to make it interesting for a bit, it might be looked back on as a major win. When Case Western Reserve visits Union, Spartan QB's Drew Sexton will have his work cut out for him as the Dutchman defense has held the team to seven points or fewer five times this season, and that includes Hobart and RPI. That wasn't just in their blowouts. Union has been a top 25 passing defense, and by the end of Saturday, it will give us more to know than just running back E.K. Erebor. MIT ended up in the field by beating Springfield in Week 11. The honeymoon could end, though, with a visit to the nation's fourth-ranked team, Muhlenberg, which has an All-American defensive player and a pretty good quarterback. Darlings of last year's tournament, the Mules need to make sure they max, match expectations and they can have a chance to exceed them this year with such a high seed and a favorable bracket. Brockport comes to Western New England to finish off this quadrant. The Golden Eagles meet the Golden Bears as, if not a road favorite, at least the national name recognition favorite. The Brockport rally to even be here after that bad week one loss is impressive. And then to get a winnable game and a path to the semifinals, what more could a team ask for? Now let's send it to Adam Turr, who's going to take a look at the Mountain Union bracket. It's easy to look at the Mountain Union bracket and think, I don't need to pay much attention to this until December. The Purple Raiders are surely going to advance all the way out of the region and into the Stag Bowl. But this is an exciting quadrant. Two of the most complete, underrated teams that I followed this season Hanover and Bridgewater, could pose problems in the first round. Unfortunately for the Panthers, 
their first round opponent is the machine. Mountain Union has looked invincible, but the Purple Raiders might face their toughest test of the season early in the second round. North Central has the playoff experience, the lines up front on both sides of the ball, and the quarterback to put a scare into the Purple Raiders, possibly even the most memorable second round game of all this year. Hanover deserved a better fate than being sent to Alliance. I don't understand why the Panthers couldn't have played North Central while Wabash, at just 7-3, coming off a Monum Bell loss, faced Mount Union. In the lower half of the region, you have Framingham State traveling to Wesley. The Wolverines are 9-1, but got there by the skin of their teeth, going 4-1 in one-score games just a year after going 1-4 in close games in 2018 and missing the playoffs while finishing 6-4. The Wolverines plan to start a freshman quarterback in the first round. I wouldn't pen them in yet, just yet. Maybe pencil. The Rams have playoff experience of their own and could give the Wolverines a mighty test in round one. Down at the bottom, Delaware Valley travels to Bridgewater. This should be one of the best games of the first round in the entire tournament. The Aggies rely on their defense, led by the Nobile brothers. But Bridgewater has looked like one of the most complete teams in the nation, getting it done on offense, defense, and special teams, imposing their will on ODAC opponents en route to a 10-0 season. Bridgewater's weakness has not yet been exposed. That game is probably the biggest toss-up of these four. I'm picking the Eagles to advance, and I think the Wolverines find a way to get it done, advancing to the second round. Wesley against Bridgewater should be another classic. I promise this isn't ODAC bias, but I think the Eagles have what it takes this year to get all the way to the quarterfinals. North Central should cruise past the Little Giants, and Mount Union will handle Hanover even if the Panthers put up a good fight in the first half. Mount Union and North Central will be a showdown to remember, but I think the Purple Raiders have all the tools and the hunger to get it done. They're on a mission this year. Surprising, but this dynasty hasn't won back-to-back national championships since 2005 and 2006, when some of its current players weren't even yet in kindergarten. Mount Union should be able to get past whoever emerges from the lower half of this bracket and advance to the semifinals. The points don't matter. That's right, the points don't matter. It's called being a professional. Points don't matter. You play to win the game. And then I give them points. I don't know why. It's just a gag to tie the show together. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. We dispense with the usual rundown for this podcast, obviously, because, you know, we're not going to talk about a random game. We're going to talk about all the games, or at least all the playoff games. And uh, we're not going to go on the spot because, again, you know, we're basically talking about every single football game that there is being played this weekend but uh, we do want to take a look back at last week's quick hits of course that is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games we got six of us giving answers to six questions in an attempt to give you some idea of something that could happen on Saturday last week our game of the week picks saw four of us pick UW Whitewater at UW Oshkosh which would have to be the game of the week especially compared to the other picks of the Cortica Jug game and the St. Thomas Bethel game for which top 25 team was most likely to be upset Frank hit on number 20 Case Western Reserve losing to Carnegie Mellon Uh, it was also a Greg picking Bethel to lose to St. Thomas a game between ranked teams those of us who picked Union whiffed really hard and the pick of John Carroll well at least if that pick had come through it would have saved us a lot of that consternation that we talked about earlier from the folks on Twitter 
We were also picking rivalry games to provide upsets, and Adam and Frank hit on DePaul beating Wabash in the Monon Bell game. And, of course, we asked which team secures its Pool C ticket with a win. It was a great question because who can ever secure an at-large bid, especially in this case? Well, in this case, Redlands, Warburg, and Wesley all got picked, but so did Susquehanna and John Carroll. And as for which team will be the highest-ranked team to miss the NCAA playoffs, only Adam picked John Carroll. See this week's quick wit, quick wits. I like that. Let's go with it. Quick wits. Yeah. See this. Let's call it quick hits. These see this week's quick hits on the website by noon on Friday. From here on forward, we'll predict the scores of all the Division Three playoff games, which will give you an idea of how high scoring and how close we expect each game to be. I think you can also determine some other things from this set of picks too, right? Is it a unanimous six nothing? Uh, in favor of Team A over Team B, you can usually feel pretty confident about that. Uh, is it a split decision? Then you have an idea that maybe uh, it might be a it might be a close game. Do we think it's going to be low scoring? Do we think it's going to be high scoring? Do we think it's going to be close? Do we think it's not going to be close? Do we think that a team is going to miss a couple of extra points? You know, all of those things are things that you can kind of divine from that set of scores, which is one of the reasons why I really like that we do it this way. Yeah, uh, I picked an 18-14 game myself in there somewhere um, because I think the scores aren't always 28-21, 27-24, and I, you know, I'll always pick a few of those. I think I probably pick the most friendliest score for the losing team uh, very often, although I, I, picked, I predicted at least one shout-out too. But yeah, the point is not really a, a competition between the six of us to see who can be most accurate. It's it's really to set the national expectation so that when something happens on Saturday and you're at Union or you're at Bridgewater or you're at Chapman and you're looking at these games for these teams, you don't really follow that closely. And then you see, whoa, that team is way out in front. And, I, and, and these quick these quick hits picks had all had this team losing. You'll know an upset when you see it. I'm actually interested this year, too. A little bit in the bowl games I think more than usual um, I don't know what it is about this slate of matchups but like WJ at Ithaca uh, uh, Westminster at Morrisville State Grove City hosting RPI uh, Brevard against Carnegie Mellon which is super random Brevard in the joined the ECAC, I think, solely for this purpose because they are transitioning into Division Three and not really eligible for anything else. Johns Hopkins against Stevenson, Western Connecticut, WPI, Hobart, Cortland. There are a bunch of really interesting games that if we knew that both teams would show up motivated and you could take the result as gospel would be very interesting to you know just get the results of. Well, I think the, you know, the teams take these bowl games for different reasons. Generally, it's to be together one more time, play one more week, you know, do the do the football thing once more. But I think there are coaches, some more than others, who probably look forward to the next season. And then juniors and sophomores are, are getting their opportunity. And you always want to see your seniors go out with a bang, but you also want to see what you're working with next season. So you can be playing on this weekend, but be playing in the in the 32-team field and not in a one-off bowl game. Pat, I noticed you somehow meant, forgot to mention uh, Mighty Randolph-Macon playing in the, the Neptune Bowl, yeah. uh, which is a side game against uh, Apprentice. I, I think the bowls are spreading between the New York Bowl and uh, some of the other opportunities that teams have where now it's not just the ECAC games. And you really wonder, and I know you made this comment, in our uh, chat amongst ourselves, um, 
you wonder what some of these games would look like if they were available opportunities in the Midwest. You know, I don't think you could really do it out in the Northwest Conference or in the Skyac, but but in Wyack, Mayak, American Rivers, um, North Coast Country, yeah. OAC, you could have you could have those teams all play each other, and you'd you'd have some, you know, whatever St. Thomas versus Platteville, or I mean, look at some of some of the matchups you could have in uh, in in Ohio and in Wisconsin um, with these second chance bowl games. It would be a great opportunity for these teams to play once more, for us to see them once more. And, uh, you know, I think it's just something that the Northeast really has and takes advantage of that that you don't see elsewhere. And when you mention Brevard getting in this mix with the Northeast, and this is a school from North Carolina that's in the ECAC, um, I haven't seen a team more excited to go bowling in D3 in a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. They have been uh, they have been aiming at this for quite some time, and, and a really good uh, a really good season for Brevard at seven and two uh, and five and two against USA South competition. I also did not mention one of the other games, and that is uh, Susquehanna hosting Wilkes. Uh, when I mentioned that, you know, if you could take the fact that everybody shows up and plays like they want to play. This is what I'm talking about. We had also, like in basketball, we had at the Final Four, we would have a third-place game for many years, which would be a preliminary to the national championship game. It would be played between the two teams who lost in the national semifinals. And often, that game was basically determined by which team showed up actually wanting to play. And if you're a team that you know, was disappointed the night before, you know, lost in dramatic fashion. You had high hopes of taking it all and you lose in the semifinals and you have to come back at one o'clock in the afternoon and play in a glorified exhibition. Sometimes guys just show up and go through the motions. I don't have not watched, obviously, a lot of ECAC football games up close like I've watched third place games uh, at the D3 Final Four. Thankfully, we don't do those things anymore. But uh, that's one of the things I wonder about. You know, Susquehanna obviously is a team that had hopes had a legitimate chance to go to the playoffs and now has to settle. And I wonder if, you know, I just always wonder about motivation and how you get kids to play in a game like this. Yeah, I mean, if you had the the, the Frosty Westering button or, you know, some of the other great motivators in D3 history, if you had a John Gallardi around so, or someone who could just lean on you and say, look, man, you got a football game on a Saturday. You're lucky to be playing. Forget about what it means in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I think the coaches and the presidents and the program, the administration, and 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 the some the maybe the maybe the boosterish type of fans. I know those folks are too prevalent in D three, but there are schools that have them. Those people might care about the circumstances as much, but if you just want to keep your team motivated, like look, you guys have a chance to play. You you could you could have turned your equipment in on Monday. Um, so, so take it seriously. And, and Pat, you're, you're right that we've seen games where the results in these bowls are a little off and they're a little wacky and you kind of wonder how that team beat that team. And a lot of times it is because the one team really wanted to be in this bowl game and the other team was just sort of like, man, we thought we'd be playing in the playoffs this week. So I think that's really the only way you can, you can approach it. Um, we'll obviously spend most of our time on, on Saturday with the 16 playoff games. But every now and again, you get one of those 470-yard performances or a 70-68 to 68 game in one of these ECACs. So uh, you never know when it's uh, when it's worth paying attention to the Bulls. 
It's it would be nice though. I mean, the third place team in the ARC, which is the the top team that didn't make the playoffs, is Dubuque, and UW Platteville is one of the top teams that didn't make the playoffs in the WIAC. Those teams are basically right across the Mississippi River from each other, more or less. It'd be great if they were playing on Saturday. Similarly, it would be great if like St. Thomas was playing UW Lacrosse, or if. Um, uh, well, I, I've run out of uh, above 500 teams in the WIAC, but if there was somebody for Bethel to play, something along those lines, maybe Illinois Wesleyan might be a little bit far to go. Maybe uh, maybe St. Norbert would consent to play a game like that. Maybe the Midwest Conference would consent to let St. Norbert play a, a game like that because they have some restrictions on what their teams can do and how many contests they can participate in. But I, those are those are games, I think, worthy, worthwhile games that would, yeah, they would add to the Division Three landscape, and we need to have those people out here in the Midwest. Does this mean I have to organize this myself? Is that what I got into? You did kind of sign up for it, the D3Football.com Second Chance Classic. <laughs> uh, we'll have to come up with a better name for that, and somebody else to run it. I'm a little busy, but uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll figure that out. Uh, also going on, uh, Keith, uh, you know, we've got the coaching changes coming. They're happening. They're here. They will continue on for multiple months and probably right up more or less right up until the season kicks off again next September. But uh, most recently this week, some longtime head coaches who announced their retirement. Mike Leonard of Franklin, uh, Bill Lynch of DePauw, Bill George of Coast Guard, uh, Larry Kinbaum of WashU announced his, of course, back near the beginning of the season, I was kind of surprised, not surprised about Bill Lynch, uh, especially going out with the Mona and Bell, surprised about Mike Leonard because he seems like, you know, he's got years of coaching left in him. Yeah, and he was a guy we met a few years ago down in Salem. It's, it's probably been more than a few at this point, but who was, uh, you know, in the lobby of the hotel and the city where the Stag Bowl is being held. He's reading Pete Carroll's book on motivation and taking notes and, he, and he had already had offense sort of figured out out of uh, out of the HCAC. Had, had a string of great quarterbacks and great passing attacks, and thought maybe that was a program that um, that was going to put it together at some point to make it make a nice little run. And and he was going to have a nice, or maybe he would have been in demand from from another program uh, elsewhere in D three. And uh, you know, he also seems like the kind of guy who might want to take more time with his family and coaches do that coaches get burned out. So, you know, I don't know what his specific circumstances were, but I think we all that didn't see that one coming. Uh, but every guy you mentioned is, was sort of a legend uh, in their own right in, in, um, in their particular circle. I mean, from Larry Kinbaum to Bill George, I remember standing in the hallway at Coast Guard talking to Bill George and I didn't realize like how hard it was to recruit to Coast Guard. And he was, you know, he wasn't complaining. He was just kind of schooling me on on how it works and what the kind of hoops that they have to jump through are. And, and those were some of the things that informed my opinion of D3. And as I'm sort of spreading the gospel of D3 across the country, you know, we spend so much time telling people we're all playing with no scholarships, but we're not all playing on the same playing field. You know, it's, everybody's got these different challenges, whether it's recruiting from a small pool or you're recruiting to a Christian school or a military school or a place that's way off the beaten path like in the upper peninsula and all your other competition is is miles away so i, I think um these guys from mike 
Leonard to Bill Lynch to Bill George to Larry Kinbaum. They've all been good to us over the years and, and have helped us, helped inform us and helped us inform you, the listeners, about D3. So we're going to miss them and, and all the other guys who, uh, who stepped down. Coaching carousel might all not always be in the that rotation of uh, seven news stories on the homepage of D3 Football just because of the nature of the playoffs, especially in the first couple of weeks. But you can always find it under the news menu by going to coaching carousel, so you can keep up to date on all of the uh, all of the moves. We mentioned obviously some uh, longtime guys who have retired, but there are a lot of other coaching changes in so far as well, and you can take a look at all those so don't forget on saturday of course 16 games of playoffs follow it on the scoreboard on d3football.com follow us on twitter using the d3fb hashtag we'll talk more about that in just a moment of course follow us on the bracket blitz frank and i will have our uh studio show where we whip around and look at the key moments of all the games that are going on if there's a uh a game that is tight and close. We'll make sure that uh, you get to see the good parts of that. And I will be uh, sitting here in my home home studio with my uh, large uh, large laptop monitor and uh, you know with a with a headset and all sorts of things. This is uh, this was a lot of fun to do. The last time I was on it, I wasn't on last year's show. I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to being at uh, at Bridgewater with uh, Gordon Mann. To, uh, to watch Bridgewater at DelVal. I think that'll be one of the better games of the uh, the first round. There are only four games out of these 16 that match ranked teams, Pat. That's one of them. Um, and obviously there were a handful of, of teams ranked in the teens and a couple in the 20s that uh, that didn't make the field at all. So that's why there are so few mat- matchups of ranked teams. But I think that the one that I'll be at will be a good one. You'll obviously be able to find um, the links to all the games on our website as you do every week we'll have video audio live stats and uh, anything else that might be of interest yep so keep an eye on that and this was d3football.com around the nation podcast number 261 released on november 22nd 2019 thanks for listening i really do want to say thanks for listening to the uh pod number 260 had like 50% more listens and downloads than any of the rest of our podcasts ever had. So that was very, uh, it, was, it was nice to see that. Um, so thank you for that. And uh, of course, uh, you can uh, listen to this podcast on the webpage. You can uh, download it into your Apple Podcasts app or Google Podcasts or Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to us there. You can also give us a rating or a review to help other football fans find it. And you can leave comments for us on a particular episode on the blog page. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using that D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post with a legitimate email address at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music... And a lot of the other music that's used in this podcast is by DJ Mentos, and you can find him at djmentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr, Greg Thomas, and Frank Rossi, plus guest Peter Sturzma and Sports Information Director Alan Babbitt for their time and assistance on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. 
And I'm Keith Millett. Wow. That's impressive. Has that ever happened before? I don't think you've ever messed... I've messed up my name a couple times. I don't think you've ever messed up your name. uh, Yeah, that's embarrassing. There'll be a time to, uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.